I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the Chinks Case. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers. And you can catch up on all of our Street Soldiers episodes, both TV and radio, free of charge, on LisaEvers.com. Now, in this episode, we're talking about the Chinks Case and the journey for justice. About two and a half years after Chinks was murdered, the NYPD shocked the community by arresting two suspects in the 2015 deadly shooting. A grand jury indicted 32-year-old Quincy Homer and 26-year-old Jamar Hill on murder and other charges. You can see my exclusive video of them being taken into custody on my Instagram at Lisa Evers. Now from the beginning, Chinks' widow and the mother of the three children told me and told the media that she would not give up and she did not. So is this the beginning of the final chapter or does it just raise more questions? Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is Vanessa Satin. She's editor-in-chief of Double XL Magazine. She was the first female editor of Double XL and she's interviewed many of the biggest names in hip hop. V, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Also with us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a criminal justice professor, former NYPD lieutenant, and security consultant for major hip-hop artists. Darren, great to have you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Also with us is Kenneth J. Montgomery. He's a federal and state criminal defense attorney, a law professor at Fordham University, and a former prosecutor. Ken, great to have you with us. Thank you. Vanessa, I want to start with you on this. How surprised were you to hear news of the arrest, and how surprised was the community? Um, I was very surprised to hear. I think the community was. Um, speaking to a few people within the community or on the legal side of things, I think that they weren't so surprised, definitely. But us in the media and I think more of the hip-hop culture w were surprised. Um, I think it's about 60-plus rappers have been killed over the last 30 years or murdered, or murdered killed, and um, most of them are unsolved. The biggest ones, Tupac and Biggie, J Master J, being in the state that they are, I think leads people in a lot of ways to believe that rappers' murders don't get solved and just kind of chalk it up to it is what it is. So I think people didn't really think Chinks would and didn't stop thinking about him, but stopped probably thinking about the actual murder and, and who did it or it being solved. So I do think this came from left, left field for people who are fans and in the media side and who weren't probably working on it on a day-to-day -day basis for the past two and a half years. And I wouldn't say it's a pleasant surprise because there's nothing pleasant about the situation, but it's definitely uh, everybody was happy that it was solved. and that To see some movement in it, To see some movement, really. exactly, that it wasn't forgotten. You know, because we pay tribute to the rappers over and over after they pass, but sometimes the... Um, case not being solved, you know, doesn't celebrate the legacy in the same way. Exactly. Um, Ken Montgomery, were you surprised that this that these arrests happened? Because some people said, oh, this came out of left field, but it turns out there was a grand jury yeah. hearing evidence for many months. No, it's a homicide. There's no statute of limitations on a homicide. So no, I wouldn't wasn't surprised. And also when you look a little bit closely at the case, um, one of the defendants has a, a federal case. Um, often in these types of cases, the, the federal government has a tremendous amount of resources. Um, and I, that's from the law enforcement side, that's also is from the intelligence side. Um, they work hand in hand sometimes with state, prosecutor, state prosecutors to bring forth an investigation that may have been cold. So I don't, I don't think it would happen out of nowhere by any means. Darren, in terms of the police investigation, because there were certain problems with this case from day one that made it difficult for the police to solve, and it was the 107th Precinct in Queens, uh, Queens South Homicide 
uh, division that did it, but what were the aspects of this case that just made it unlike any other? Well, it, we have this rule, I shouldn't say a rule, but this is something that fits into the social constructs in many of these, these communities, no snitching, so to speak. And so that in many ways hinders the police's ability to move forward with this. But when we look at a lot of the nuances in um, policing and technological advancements, they were able to do something we refer to as dumping a cell phone tower. And that allowed the police to get that information because whenever you use a cell phone, it bounces off of a cell phone tower. And oftentimes, it's a very difficult and arduous task to dump a cell phone tower because you have thousands of calls that go through. However, when we look at the time of day that this happened, early morning, you didn't have that overwhelmingly large number of it wasn't calls. wasn't like rush through. hour right, or the right, morning exactly. in the middle of the day so when that had assisted law enforcement tremendously and an attribute to what Mr. Montgomery stated in terms of how these federal prosecutors work. They have an enormous amount of resources coupled with, they have time. There's a lot of time. Like Ken there's said, there's no, no statute of limitations. Right, there's no rush so. to get into this. But it just goes back to the combination of dumping the cell phone tower and just looking at who actually came up on the cell phone tower. Then they started to target a certain population. And there's a lot more technology and that's how they came now. Up with the right, there's a lot more technology and, available. And, and, and um, like was just stated, what you also can't um, underestimate, um, the feds, you know, they, there is cliche no snitching but it's snitching all in the community um the the thing is to get those people to come forward and go into a grand jury and you're talking well, to, you're so talking about like, when they're facing heavy that, charges they go like that, i need a break what i'm so saying I'm is talk. that it would not surprise me if the federal government got win as to what happened and gave that information to state prosecutors. Okay, let, let me let me come back to to painting a picture of who Chinks was too. Vanessa, th this this case resonated in a way. A lot of people knew he was popular. He was, you know, his music was starting to really pop. But the the uh, adoration and the the concern and the care and the just the interest that so many people had. Why do you think that was with this? I think French is uh, sorry. I think um, Chinks being French's artist and French you know, at the time was getting bigger and bigger. It put chinks in a lot of people's faces and they, you know, damaged, were able to make relationships, you know, with him based off of his relationship with French and helped a lot. I think him being a New York artist and being around, you know, so many different m m record labels and media in New York, you know, got to know him. I think he was genuinely a nice guy. He was a family guy, he had kids. I think we didn't know him to really have beef like that where it seemed like he was getting in trouble or could get into some sort of situation. Um, so I think that it was very surprising for everybody just because it he really didn't come from that situation where you thought that's what it was. You saw him in reality shows, you saw him on TV, you saw him making music, you didn't really see him getting into kind of scenes where you thought there might be something that might happen along the way. And then when it did, it was a big surprise since he was so on the come up and buzzing and getting bigger and bigger and it was really, you know, the height of his career. Kind of like on the, ver you know, and on on the, the verge, verge of a bigger yeah. thing, right? Yeah, I think that was the, and he was the This thing. is also, and, you know, right. but this was another thing you got to take into consideration. This is a street beef. This is something that happened on Rikers Island and it's something that evolved years around. Before. Yeah, but right. six years ago. Right. This is something that started emanated from a, a conversation on a cell phone, one person using more time than the other. There's a very different aspect of on rules the jail that phone. come on the jail phone on Rikers Island. 
the rules that we look at in the common society are diametrically different on Rikers mm -hmm. Island. And that's what this was attributed to. We had a conflict over a cell phone. Okay, but hold on one second. Ken, does that make sense Not a cell phone, you? excuse because me, the, the, the phone on the Rikers story, Island. What, what the NYPD is saying, what the, mm -hmm. the detectives have told me, is this started 2009. There was a beef between, alleged beef between Chinks and Quincy Homer over a phone. Quincy got the worst of it. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to April, a couple of weeks before Chinks was killed, they're at this event in Philadelphia, and then uh, this the show after the show, Chinks tells everyone don't mess with Quincy because he is a, a, snitch. a snitch. So and then I, and then that from that but moment I, on, people didn't know how how deep that beef was on a public. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think. We, Do you believe it's just those I two think, incidents? I, think, I mean, no, is no, it, no, I think I'm sure there's more to I'm it. I'm sure there's some some other elements to it, but. Uh, yes, there are different rules on Rikers Island because now if you tell if you telling me that it emanated over the beef over the phone, everyone knows who who are in this business and around it knows that the phones are controlled by gang members. Right. So now you have that's another element that may be to it. You know, you know, you're not you're not controlling the phone unless you have some sort of um, gang affiliation. Yeah, or or, or you're, you're res highly respected in that environment. But yeah, it could be, and it could be more. All right, uh, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. It's your boy, Freshy with a PH, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. PH. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the Chinks case and the journey for justice. Joining me is Vanessa Satin. She's editor in chief of Double XL Magazine. She was the first female editor of Double XL, and she's interviewed some of the biggest names in the business. Vanessa, great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a criminal justice professor, former NYPD lieutenant, and security consultant for high-profile hip-hop artists. Darren, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Kenneth J. Montgomery. He's a federal and state criminal defense attorney, law professor at Fordham Law, and a former prosecutor. Ken, great to have you with us. Thank you. Vanessa, in terms of the culture in hip-hop it's called it's been called the hip-hop code of silence and you know behind the scenes some of the investigators that i've been talking to over the last couple of years said nobody from hip-hop really knew or really wanted to speak to the police they said absolutely nothing um, why why do you think that is i just think the the code of silence for years in, in hip-hop the mentality is you don't snitch um what that really means in a certain level of when your life's threatened of so I'm sure that people break and I'm sure that's really not a, a complete code of silence that everybody lives by but the mentality overall in hip-hop is that you don't snitch over the years um, it's gone on and on for years snitches against snitches da, da, da. you know there's been jokes right. about it all the time and I think that that plays a role and where people get confused of what their role is in the community when crime happens, when stuff happens, because the snitching rule doesn't necessarily pertain to everybody who listens to hip hop, but a lot of people embrace it that way, also in the community as well. And I think that that gives, from our research, you know, reporting gives cops in New York and everywhere a hard time on how to solve these crimes when people feel like they can't say anything that they've seen. Ken, what about that in terms of the no, the no, this no snitching code? Um, I think and the hip hop code. I think silence. it sounds great, but if that was... Is that a myth? Is this a street myth? I think myth? it's a street myth because if it was, in fact, true, then the federal government and U.S. attorneys wouldn't be so successful. They wouldn't have a 90-plus percentage rate in trials. And Explain, state, that. Explain that to Meaning us. that the federal system is based on informant information, confidential informant. Right. And so many of the state cases that go to trial are based on someone testifying. So I think 
it sounds great, but I, I don't think that's what's really going on. So basically, if somebody gets caught, that somebody already has a charge for something else, mm-hmm. or they have violated their parole, or they have other criminal justice mm-hmm. issues on their record, they get arrested again, and then in order to get a reduced sentence or to get some kind of favor, sometimes they, they turn informant. Is that how sometimes, it works? Sometimes they make statements to someone who they tell those statements. Sometimes they go on their phone and their technology, and they make admissions or confessions. Sometimes it comes from all types of scenarios. So but is it, it could hurt your reputation. It could. Right, it's totally bizarre. But, but people find out about but it. But let's right? be clear about this. This See, this is what we don't talk about. Well, let's talk from about From this it. city and from all these urban cities, there are killers, people who are very well respected in the street, who everyone knows that they cooperated with the government, and they come home and everybody is fine with it because that person has a violent history. To, to so nobody's going to mess so with them. So nobody's going to say anything to But them. in hip-hop, it's different. If you're no, an artist and I you're seen talking to cops. That's different. But well, it's Why is that, Darren? All right. One of the things you have to look at, um, hip-hop artists are a byproduct of the communities they come from. And what they're doing is just transcending the sense of values into what they're doing and moving forward with doing music. What Mr. Montgomery is referring to is something we refer to as a proffer agreement in law enforcement, where you have people that come in, someone that, that was arrested for something, and they say, hey, look, like you mentioned, hey, look, you know what, I'm trying to work this off, this is what happened. Now, that does happen, but I'll tell you just personally, that's not, like he mentioned, 90%. That's not what my experience has been as an NYPD detective. A lot of the people that I've brought in were not as willing to give that information. And as she mentioned, that if your label is a snitch, it can have um, tremendous consequences on who you are as an individual. And it goes back to the Chinks situation. Chinks had stated that this person, um, Quincy, had snitched on him on Rikers Island. And it put a fact. Well, he said he's a snitch, but they could have referred to something else that we don't even know about yet. You said he said he was a snitch, right? But that put that black cloud over right. over that Quincy. Label in and itself. That being shut said, shut him down. That that being said, it him haunted him, and he felt that he needed a sense of retribution, and that's why he got back at, at um at Chinks. But from my understanding, it was because Chinks and him got into a physical altercation on Rikers Island, and Chinks appeared to be the victor in this. And that individual, Quincy, yeah, stated Quincy that, Yeah, Quincy had, some, had, you know had a minor face injury. He did this injury to and me, and he told the COs, right. he did this Instead, to me, and you're supposed and that's to say, I fell down box. or I walked so into a wall. That well, was the situation behind it. That was the context in where this thing came from. Right, exactly. But but Vanessa, in, ter- in terms of the hip-hop culture, so we go to April 24th, 2015, in this back room at the sound garden which i've seen pictures of there's chinks is there french is there there's a, a bunch of di- uncle murders there there's different rappers as quincy is there and then there there this is where chinks allegedly said don't mess with that guy because he was trying to get on and he was trying to be a, Qu- a quincy the accused shooters was also trying to be a rapper himself under the name quality he said don't mess with this guy he's a snitch so at that point in front of that kind of crowd i mean in front of that kind of a group in a, a private setting what is that like the kiss of death i mean it definitely didn't career? look good for him i don't know if it's the kiss of death kiss of death because we don't know the exact story of what chinks was claiming he was a snitch over but i mean is that enough but to make quincy that super ma- that mad enough to just i think it's enough to make him mad i don't know if it's enough to kill anybody right. you know i mean what we're talking here but i think it's definitely enough for him to not like him but it goes the back to the street is how, code I mean, it's the street code, and also uh, what what I'm unconf- what I'm confused by, which I don't know, is between 2009 and 2015, how much antagonizing was going back and forth between the two. 
you know, you talk about the incident that you just right. mentioned. We talk about the incident in jail, but I, I don't know, and we weren't documenting it because we didn't really understand the beef between these two men, is what was really going on between 29 and 2015 to build Quincy's rage up to that point. I would un ignorantly think it wasn't just saying one thing off of stage that there would be more been the trigger or the spark, right? Could have been uh, the trigger, could have been the, the the straw, could have been right. but whatever it is, it seems like I would guess that there would be more going or m more that happened between 2029 and 2015 besides that one night or you would hope, I guess. I don't I I'll tell hope, you, that street code, you being labeled as a snitch is a big thing. That's a tough rock to get from under. So it could have just been that one thing. And, could, and it could have been that hatred and that vitriolic relationship became more and more vehement and more prevalent. And it, it subsequently caused Quincy to be suppressed as him trying to emerge as a new and up and coming artist. Because other people in the other people in the hip hop community will feel the same way. This guy's a snitch. I'm not messing with him. But Can, do we know? Did they bump into each other early that night in the club? Was it just the? I mean, I'm just. I don't know the details. It was one of those stage shows. I don't have all the details. Right, I, either, I, I would yeah. imagine, and I've been around for some time. Um, the rap world and the street world are symbiotic. They transcend one another. Um, I didn't. I would imagine if they had beef with one another. That means their friends had beef with one another as well. That means that it was circulating through these places. Um, you know, you don't go somewhere with someone and you know that you know is going to be there and you're not prepared. Chinks wasn't a guy that ran with a big crew, and but the same holds true with Quincy. So it, you didn't have like these armies on both sides. So it, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that that was the case. I didn't say. But armies. here's the th here's the thing that got that also too. It's like the the detectives that, that I spoke with too. That in terms of you know because there were a lot of theories. They were like this was not the this was not the theory that we thought. You this know, was not the theory that, that anybody, speaking, that from anybody thought. From a law thought. enforcement perspective, the more people that you have that are involved, the more susceptible you are as law enforcement to gain the information. So when you have more, if you when you have six, eight, ten people are involved in this thing, somebody eventually is going to fold. But here's but the that's other. That's not what happened here. But here's the other thing too: is that they said Chinks's last charge that he caught was 2006. He was in Rikers on 2009 at that time because of a parole, you know, a parole violation. So they said he had pretty much put the whole street yeah, thing Yeah, but it goes back to what I mentioned him. to you. You being you know, labeled as a confused. snitch. Pardon me? I you, think that's why people were the most confused when it happened. Because people were saying, like, you know what, he put that street thing behind him. He's about to perform. He's, he's running around, you know, he's going around touring he's with French. He's changed his life. He's in a different place. Everything's right. about but, to go and off. And it goes right. back to what I was saying with that, like, uh, you know, Coogee Rap. A famous, a famous hip hop artist. He he made this record, Road to Riches, and he talked about living that code while you're in jail. And one of the things he said was, "Rules are different, and so is life. Will you think with a shank and talk with a knife?" That's what that is when you're on that side of the fence. And it's very difficult to get away from that. There's no way for you to vindicate yourself from being a snitch. All right, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Hey, yo, 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 what up, what up? It's the infamous Marv Deep, prodigy right here, you know what I mean? And this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, you know what I mean? And real people, only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the Chinks case, the journey for justice. Joining me for this episode, Vanessa Satin. She's editor-in-chief of XXL Magazine, the first female editor of XXL, and she's interviewed many of the biggest names in hip-hop throughout her career. Vanessa, great to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a criminal justice professor, 
former NYPD lieutenant, and he's also a security consultant for major hip-hop artists. Darren, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Kenneth J. Montgomery. He's a federal and state criminal defense attorney, law professor at Fordham Law, and a former prosecutor. Ken, great to have you. Thank you. Vanessa, for a long time, hip-hop was kind of penalized by the, the quote-unquote mainstream and mainstream money and mainstream culture because of this connection to the streets and this underworld and these things that were happening and murders and shakedowns and that type of thing. Do you think this reignites that or do you think we've gone past that? I think everything's the same. Uh, I don't think it reignites anything. I think the mentality has always been there of, you know, no snitching for years. It didn't change. Um, so I don't think anything really changes. I think the most interesting thing out of this is um, there's always been an interesting relationship between the NYPD and hip-hop, you know, with the history of the hip-hop police and right. everything there. So I think that this was an interesting in solving this case and what does that mean for the relationship between hip-hop and the NYPD. Um, it's just an, it's something that hip-hop's going to see and recognize that's been done, and I think it was interesting that the NYPD worked on it for two and a half years, and there seems like there's some sort of message of saying we were going to solve this, and I think that was an interesting message for hip-hop to kind of receive out of it. Especially after, like you said, you mentioned the hip-hop police, and there were, especially during the years like when 50 Cent was first coming on, they were actually being, they were being followed, there were all kinds of uh, examples of... And now you got the, um, the cops got somebody that killed a rapper, and right. that was, that something that hasn't happened in New York in a very long time or you know that I can think off offhand um, so I think that that was pretty significant in in another level of this murder and what kind of things are you are people saying to you because I you know I see all sorts of comments on social media like people are saying like great glad they did this happy for the family and then others are saying are these the right guys do we know you know did they just grab any two guys I think the I think the no I think the jury's still out you know people are still trying to wait and see what information is coming out from all of this I think people were very surprised that it had the, the beef had gone come from so earlier on in his life um, and that really wasn't a heavy rumor that was going around so I think it's kind of a very bit early, you know, very early, and people are still trying to see what exactly happened. But also, you know, two and a half years is a long time. It's a short time, and it's a long time, too, where I think people didn't forget about chinks, but didn't think about it being solved. So I think people are caught off base with being like, well, that's a little bit too good to be true. Right, and if, if that's the case, can it, it take us through the legal complications? Mm -hmm. Because Quincy Homer, who is, uh, sources say, is the shooter, he's indicted for murder, along with Jamar Hill, his uh, alleged accomplice. He's just pleaded guilty to a federal armed robbery and, and weapons, brandishing a weapon, weapons charge that carries with it anywhere from five years because of his record to a maximum of life in prison. So what happens to him? You know, now now add on to this Chinks case. So how do they, well, how, what, what happens? Well, it's right, so complicated. For, as to him, uh, he is scheduled for sentencing if he's pled guilty. Um, in the federal system, his sentence will be predicated on his criminal history points as well as the crime, the nature right. of his crime, in which then his guideline range is calculated. And who knows what his guideline range is? I don't know any of the, f the facts of his case. So the guideline range depends on, for sentencing, depends on his past crime record? Crime right. and your criminal history. Okay. And, you know, there's certain things that happen in a crime that can bump up your sentencing guideline range. Right. So he's going uh, to be scheduled for sentencing for that federal case. And the background of that federal case, he's facing 15 to life at a minimum, 25 to life at maximum. 
for the, the state chinks, murder for the, case. Right, for the murder case yes. of Chinks. Okay. We know they're not related because one case is being prosecuted in the state and one has been already uh, prosecuted in the federal level. Right, that was for a so, bank robbery in Long Island. So he has... A, With a machine gun. Yes, so he has these... He has to weigh these options about uh, what happens at trial if he decides to go to trial, what happens if he decides to plea, all types of different theories. Also, you got to understand what is the government's theory as to the second defendant. Was he a driver? Was he also a shooter? Is there two, two uh, is there evidence of uh, multiple uh, ballistics at the scene? No. So if one, one gun, so and there's we one gun, he was two a guys. One gun, so, two guys. So you know, his his if I'm his co-defendant's attorney, I feel like I have a shot um, to make a plea. No, to, at to a go to trial. trial. You know, uh, depending on on how this case spills out. But again, we don't know. You don't know if there is some federal evidence that may seep and leak into the state prosecution and federal evidence can come in all types of ways it can be some it could be conversations in the jail wherever he's wherever he's housed at it can be um third party you don't know so it's too early to tell they did say the fbi assisted i'm sure with technical with, well, with technical things and also with other things in the investigation. Well, that well, it, you know, or is that just this, normal? Is that I just mean, typical, it's not or? normal. No, state state and federal prosecutors don't work together all the time, but they they have a history of working together. Um, you well, know. it does depend. Uh, what I do mean, you think? In Darren? many instances, FBI's involved in this. Does that raise any? Or many instances, you, you know what the streets people are like. Oh, okay, this isn't the end of it. There's a lot more to this than what we know about. The FBI has a lab in Quantico. In Quantico, that's very advanced, and oftentimes we in the NYPD would utilize the resources out of not just ballistics. I mean, it, it, this, it's multifaceted in what that lab in Quantico can do. So oftentimes, and there is somewhat of a symbiotic relationship between the FBI and NYPD here. And if this is a case that rises to that threshold, then by all means, the two uh, the two yeah, ent- entities will work together. Yeah. But when you mentioned that the, uh, the pre-sentencing report in terms of how the sentence is gonna come down, that's actually very accurate, because that's gonna be the determining factor in terms of how much time he gets. But going back to how these entities come together, I think this was something, when I look at the shooting here in New York City, this was something that was primarily driven by the NYPD. The FBI wasn't a part of the investigation. The the FBI did assist in terms of from, from a resource need, perspective, different but of, in terms of the, of the pounding the ground, interviewing suspects, it was something that happened yeah. amongst the yeah, NYPD. But I, I think my point is the FBI, they come in and they enhance cases. When those 302s are developed, meaning that those witness interviews that they develop and they put to paper, um, those will illuminate a case. This case ultimately is still someone has to walk in that courtroom. It could be circumstantial. And the circumstantial evidence, okay, the GPS, you establish that these guys had this phone to put them in a certain place. But ultimately, to really have a shot at conviction, you're going to need either their own statements inculpating themselves or someone saying they did it. Now, I was in well, court at the, I was in court in the, that, but hold on one second. I was in and court they're not going to tell you that yet. Because no, and you, they don't tell you, but I was in court for the arraignment and I sat through it and they did mention witness number one, witness number two, Witness number three, whose names and identities are sealed. So now, witness number one, witness number two, witness number three, I would gather it's not people close to Chink 
because if there were people close to him who knew about this, this thing would have been solved so years right, ago. Right, right, right. So right, let me right, just finish my point. Okay. And, and more, when you talk about the federal element to this case, that's what I mean by it's a possibility. I don't I'm know. Just I don't saying, know let me, anything okay, about let, the let me case. Let me just give Vanessa's take on this. In, in, ter in terms of the, in terms of the, how closely watched this will be in the months ahead. What do you think about that? Uh, we have if if, it, if there's a trial, I mean, we haven't seen anything like right. that. A you know, somebody be charged for a rapper's uh, murder. Um, there is an issue that Chinks was not too big yet. That you know, I don't know across the board in America how much this case really would pertain to people right. in other parts of the country. But for New York in the tri-state area, it would definitely be something that would be paid attention to. And 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 nationally, the idea is that out of these sixty-something murders of rappers. Here's one where the police department that was known for having the hip hop police has actually has has actually tried to solve it. And I don't know if that's the biggest thing at the end of the day. I think yeah. it's all it's also just that hip hop is its own community and when somebody gets killed that's part of it, um, everybody feels it, you right. know? And so because of that, if there is any sort of healing that comes from it, if there's any sort of justice that comes out of it, you know, hip hop would respect that as well, I believe. Ken, what would it take for the what what would it take for the US attorney, the federal prosecutors to step this, into this case. It would have to be a federal nexus to the case. What um, does that mean? That means, you know, in, state, in court, state, court, state court is much broader. State criminal law is broader. Federal law is very, it's smaller. It's, right. it's, you have to have a federal nexus to bring them into the case. Normally Whether, what will you know, happen with the feds when they'll right. come in with these gun cases, if they can prove that this gun came from another state, that's when it would go to um, in, in, in AUSA. And, um, no, it's, it's if, it, if the person was a prior felon in possession of a gun, just if, simply because on, it if came a gun in. Came from, if a gun came from another state, the feds can broker a deal with the NYPD and say, look, we'll take this case. That happens constantly. They can, no. That, what that, happens constantly is no, but people are charged with felons in possession of the gun, meaning they were prior but felons your question, in their possession. Your question was, can the, can the feds come in and step in on this? And the answer is yes. If the, feds do, decide, if the feds do decide, look, we want to prosecute this as a gun case that was illegally that's, obtained from another state. That happens all the time. No, How that, could you that, say that, that, that this doesn't I, happen? Because I practice law. You that do happened law with tax that happens, they yeah, well, what, what, what tax tax that happens all the time. Listen, what, what I don't discuss who I represent because right. that's silly. Okay. However, tax stone is in the feds for a felon in possession of a firearm, okay. not simply a possession. Of the gun itself. Yes. Right. Okay. All right. Let, let, let's, let me move on to that. Let me bring, let me bring this back to, to Chinks and, and his family, to Vanessa. His, I was struck by Janelli, his wife, yeah, his and wife the, the mother of, of the three children. He, she said to me, like, the day after this happened, when, when I was talking with her, she's like, I'm, she goes, I'm going to follow this all the way through until they catch the person that did this. And I thought that was pretty bold, considering the fact that you don't know who is the person that just took, you know, that just took took him away from you who he is what what it was about they know where you live that that kind of thing what was your take on that i think his wife and his mother have been very strong in all of this we've seen visibly um from the funerals to every the interviews after to everything we've seen with with both of them and his wife that's you know the father of her children she wants to find out what happened and i think that somebody caring and pushing plays a big role in things especially with the police department too right and they see that there's there's family members that are there that are are pushing you know, I you know, I don't really I would think it easier to be forgotten when somebody's not shouting your name. 
Right. You know, I mean, if, if somebody's fighting for you, I think there's all the more reason to pay attention. But at the same time, it's also a crime that needs to be solved. So it can't be just her as the reason. Right. But she's been but a, a very a strong bit. spirit to push along. Yeah, Exactly. All right. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up? This is Clarity, and you're listening to Street Soldiers with the one and only Lisa Evers. You dig? Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the Chinks case, the journey for justice. Joining me for this episode, Vanessa Satin. She's editor-in-chief of Double XL Magazine, the first female editor there, and she's also interviewed many of the biggest names in hip-hop. Vanessa, great to have you with us on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Darren Porcher. He's a criminal justice professor former NYPD lieutenant and security consultant to some of the biggest names in hip-hop. Darren, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Kenneth J. Montgomery. He's a federal and state criminal defense attorney, law professor at Fordham Law, and a former prosecutor. Ken, great to have you with us. Vanessa, in terms of the the Chinks saga as this goes forward, the and what pe- how interested people will be if there's a trial do you think people will be following this closely yeah i think if there's a trial people will be into it i mean it just extends the story people wonder what happens people try to figure they try to pick a side i mean there's certainly going to be people who say he's not guilty if there's a trial you know um if so i think that extends the story even more um if there isn't you you will always be memorializing Chinks for the role he played in hip hop every year, and fans will continue to listen to the music. But it, the a trial would extend his story a bit. What do you find most interesting about this case? I, I honestly just didn't think that they would find anybody. I didn't think it. I, I think they care. I don't know. If it, I don't really know how to look at it. You just you hear a lot of stuff in hip hop as far as people getting murdered, and you don't hear a lot of resolve. So. I think after two and a half years and knowing him and his camp a bit and everything that you kind of just didn't think that there would be a a resolve. And so maybe that's the biggest surprise. You know, I I wouldn't say that you thought he was forgotten, but you felt like things had just moved on. Darren, the the technology, I mean, people, because people lump all the unsolved hip hop murders kind of in the same group, you know, because they're unsolved, they're, they're exactly, artists. Exactly, right. But if you look, there's a big difference between technology and, and our biggest ones go unsolved. You the know, biggest Biggie ones. and Tupac and right. Jam Master J being in New York and those not being solved, you know, uh, and, and and not to complain, not to point fingers, but that going on for so long, then I think that that connects to people. Oh, they don't solve hip-hop murders. Oh, hip-hop murders don't get solved. Um, so I think that's in people's head a lot, you know, across the board. Um, from over the years, not just in New York. So I think that was probably the biggest surprise was to actually see it happen because everybody moves on. You know, maybe his family didn't, maybe, you know, the closest to him, but in an entertainment situation, you know, you there's remember other new, him, so but many you, there's, more new, artists. there's new things going on, there's new artists, there's new so-and-so. So to come back here and see that happen, I think was the biggest surprise for everybody, even though it sounds like it was never too far gone from people's minds. I think the other thing is that there's a immediate gratification thing that everybody wants now of thinking a crime should be solved instantly. So, you the know, Instagram half, detectives. Right, and two and a half years might not be a long time for the police police force to to solve a case but for us you know a lot of times we're like overnight we think it happened or we can solve it online ourselves or whatever it is and then we know more than the police we've seen that with some other recent crimes that were popular that weren't hip-hop related and and very high profile yeah very high profile so I think that idea is that two and a half years goes by well they have no idea but literally if you're investigating you're trying to put a case together and you're trying to get everything right 
yeah, research for two and a half years doesn't seem so absurd. It so doesn't I seem think that, that's that instant gratification thing the that, thing that we people, didn't get. But Darren, the, the investigative tools that police have right now compared to in, in 2017 or even 2015 compared to what they had with in the Biggie and Tupac compared era in the late 90s. we don't even know 90s. about that they have. Right, you know. exactly. Right. Well, and the things we don't been, even know about they there's have. Been some, there's been a lot of technological massive, advancements massive. in law enforcement um, dating back to 1995 when we had the DNA database that came up. But when you take in consideration a place like New York City, the average citizen is videoed 100 to 200 times a day. That's something that just happens. Coupled with, when you dump a cell phone tower, and we look at what happened with chinks, if you dump a cell phone tower, and then you go a line, and you go down that street with these bodegas, various businesses, you can connect where a person walked from square one to square two. So, in addition to that, we're now, everywhere you go in New York City, you see these NYPD cameras. And not just businesses, but the NYPD has cameras They're on the cars. Well. They're on the cars. Not just the cars, but you have them stationary on the corners. And you they're see, plugged into the ones that are in banks and stores. You and see a far greater case clearance now than you have in the past. Because of video and so nowadays, everyone commits a crime in the street. It's just a matter of time before the person is caught. So I just see the nuances in policing playing out when I look at the Shink situation. Because it was one of these things, like you mentioned, the hip-hop squad. That's referred to as the intel squad in the NYPD. They had or, they had officers that followed the hip hop artists and things to that they effect. They did. I know the that. For, I reported on it for no, Fox. What with, I'm saying with is, G it was it was something that was prevalent. Right. That is one cog in the mechanism of how you. Well, gain now this there's video cameras. I mean, now now if Tupac had been shot on on the Las Vegas Strip, there probably would have been video of it. You know, right? that would, same whole shit with the Jam Master J situation in the studio. But it's getting back to we're now matching up this, we're now matching up this video with subjects, and that's giving us a greater case clearance moving forward. Can you, you've been involved on both sides mm -hmm. as prosecutor and as defense attorney in, in these cases. What types of evidence does it take to really get to the point where you have a grand jury indictment on a murder charge well, you know, like we have here? That's grand 21 jury, P, isn't it? Grand jury is not a trial. In grand jury, you're just li literally presenting, you're not, it's not, reasonable doubt is this, isn't the standard. Uh, the standard is, is it likely to have happened? So you have a lesser threshold, so you don't have to put in your whole case in the grand jury. That's why you often hear the cliche is you can indict a ham sandwich. You're but 21 people have to agree, right? Is that true? Or? No, the quorum, uh, whatever the quorum, the quorum is. Okay. The quorum, it could be from 12 to 16 people, depending on the quorum in the grand jury. But it doesn't take a lot to get a They're just saying that's enough to So go in terms of this case, if, yes. they if, if they have, as we believe at this point in this case, there's no... A witness testimony, we know, as you stated. There's some kind of witness testimony. You said, you said more than one witness, They right? said one, two, and three uh, at so the arraignment. I'm curious, what would you think the witnesses would be then? If you didn't think it'd be yeah, someone... Yeah, if they're not, not at the scene. If you didn't think it was in yeah, his I'm camp, right. who do you think the witnesses would be? Someone in the shooter's camp. Someone in the shooter's camp? Yeah, someone who, would, who had, uh, had one would be in a position to either eyewitness or in a position to say that they heard a statement, an admission by someone, a statement against penal interest by okay, someone. Okay, so even though the chief of detectives... The no, they didn't, they didn't. And I've, I've, been to, I've been to the location. The location where this happened was Main Street and Queens Boulevard, which sounds very busy, but at the time it was under construction. They had it, the, the car, the shooter's car pulled up Right behind Chinks's car, stopped at stopped. So what at a citizen light. would be in so a position to see? This or is make at four o'clock in the morning. So identification. And the this chief of de but, wait, wait, guys, the chief of the, the chief no the the chief of detectives said from early on 
said that there were no eyeball witnesses. So mm-hmm. when they say witnesses in court, Ken, what mm-hmm. does that mean? For me, and my based on my experience, that are people who are cl- possibly close to the accused. That could have known this guy was going to do this, or allegedly. Or no, this could have heard a state. Listen, I there's people who, you may have a guy who commits a crime today. Right. Next week, two months later, he tells you, your friend from the past, he makes an admission as to what happened. Right. Cops have no idea. Right. You, a year from now, you're under the spotlight. You get in trouble. You now say, you know what, Mr. My Attorney, I want to go in and talk. What do you want to talk about? Well, I know about this, 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 I know this, about the Chinks murder. That's one yeah. way. It could be in someone on the that, phone. You could have been somebody that... Card. Whenever it is a crime scene, one of the first things the police do is they write down all the license plates for the vehicles that are there. And they're going to speak to those people. Where were you at this time? Did you hear this? So although you heard the chief of detectives make one statement, a public statement doesn't necessarily mean it. that's what's going to be introduced You in still court. need an eyeball witness to say you did it. In this case, and if you're telling me this happened at four o'clock in the morning with two individuals in a car who get away and the case is cold for two years, they're going to need something. Circumstantial evidence can come in. How about the other person that was allegedly in the car, Jamar Hill? It's possible. All these are possible. But I'm saying you're still going to need an eyeball witness to say that this person shot. But you think there's a, you think there's more to this? Absolutely. They're not. The NYPD isn't going to go out and tell everyone what this case is about, and neither the prosecutor. Vanessa, in terms in terms of the culture, I, I want to come back to this too because one of the other things that the detectives told us, and I know they told you for for Double XL Magazine as well, is that this was a crime fueled by hate, which is a very big topic in hip hop. Jealousy, where Quincy Homer comes out, you know, th- he gets out of Rikers Island Disrespect, eventually. Oh yeah, and respect, and he's he's trying to get his own uh, rap career going in between catching these felony cases that he that he had going on and he's he sees chinks really starting to blow up turns on the radio he's on hot 97 every couple minutes he with sees the Kardashian with family on the, reality shows it's it's a whole different right level all of these success. T- yeah. types of things Ex- explain to explain to our, our audience the this whole thing about hate and where that comes from I think hate and jealousy mixed together. So I think if if this is the case of what happened, I think there had to be an element of jealousy mixed in. You know, are you being, was he being blocked? Was Quincy being blocked from hip hop community? How much do you feel like he was being blocked or stopped from being famous? You know, that goes back to, I'm curious again, between 2009 and 2015, exactly what happened. Is it years of him feeling like he was being cut out of the industry or was it that one night? I think that would determine a lot of how much hate built up as well. But um, I think it's we're talking about a mix of hate and jealousy together. If if the story looks like how it's kind of unfolding, that there was one man who was jealous of another and felt that he was keeping him out of it, and they had a pre-existing problem. Um, we haven't seen that happen many many times, but I guess it's not unheard of. I guess you know we've seen a, a lot of people be jealous and and let it out the wrong way. But I still think it's very early to know the extent of what really was going on between them on a public level. Um, I'm sure the police know a lot more, but as far as us knowing, you know, the community and and the media knowing exactly what the details are, I'd assume based on, as the case unfolds, if it turns into a trial, we get a better idea. We're gonna see what happens. That's a tip off though. That's a a narrative. What? That that this was hate and jealousy, that's a narrative. What does that mean? That means that there's a story behind this. You think there's more to the story? But but what I'm saying is for NYPD to put that leak, that narrative, that narrative has to be supported by some information that we that don't have that type yet. of personal information is coming from possibly inside one of the shooters camp or circle 
or environment, whether it's jail, whether it's whoever you were running with or whatever, that's a that's a personal narrative, jealousy and hate. Right. So how do you know that? Where, where, do you, where does that information uh, come from? Which, because, because which goes back to Vanessa's also, point about 2009 to 2015. Yeah, because ultimately that story is going to have to be Proven. distributed in a court through motive and through theory. So right. for them to put that out there, that means that there's some information. There's definitely that we a lot don't more to this. Know about, yeah, absolutely. for for sure, a lot more questions. Just just real quick, and then Darren, in terms of the NYPD, the detectives at the 107th um, and the Queen South Homicide Squad worked tirelessly. They took this very personally. Do you think is this part part of a PR plan to improve community relations, or do you think they're trying to show like <laughs> this is this is the NYPD? In 2018, not the not the old version with the hip hop police. I think they genuinely tried to investigate this and come out with an outcome that was fruitful for a conviction. It's one of these things that the NYPD uh, and not just the NYPD but all police departments have acquired more resources that have greater enabled them to solve these crimes. So when we look at uh, a lot of the digital footprints that come into play in solving these crimes, this is this is I want to say this equated to their actions, the fruits of their labor moving forward. It's an arduous was tasked investigating these homicides. Generally, the precinct detective squad is at the forefront of this, and the Queens Homicide Bureau is fo focuses in a support mechanism. They support the precinct detective bureau, and so these resources come into play, and that's how these people are caught. But you need to have some discovery to work on. Well, no, we have, have we have a lot more. We and if you don't have anything, it's difficult for you to work on it. And okay, a lot of I gotta times, I gotta cut you off because we're just about out of time. But can prediction will will Quincy Homer trial or plea? What do you think? I, I have no idea. I don't know him or personally, but I would imagine. You know, if you ask someone, would they take a, a sentence with a life on the back end, you might as well go to trial. And most homicides, unless the case... Because he's got nothing to lose, right? He's nothing to lose. And, and, and he's if already I know, looking if I, at... I've tried cases in the Queens, in the Homicide Bureau. Brad Leventhal, who runs Homicide out there, knows exactly what he's doing. He's going to put someone on that case who, who's a seasoned uh, homicide uh, prosecutor. And it's going to be a challenge for whoever uh, the, the case is. It has some notoriety, but again, we don't know the details. No, we don't. We have a lot yeah. more to find out. And Vanessa, final final word on this, because you know it comes back to the music as well. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, does every time Chinks is in the news, does this do we see more movement towards his music or downloads or attention or? I'm not really sure. About not to that. be cynical, I mean, we, but you know everybody celebrates when you start hearing about him. Right. Um, something like this, you start to celebrate the music more. You listen to it. <clears throat> we go over his best songs and everything like that, um, just to honor him. You know, you want to keep honoring. All right, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay on this case. We've been on the Chinks uh, case since day one, and much more to come, I'm sure. So I want to thank all of our guests for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers, Vanessa Satin, uh, Dr. Darren Porcher, and also uh, Kenneth J. Montgomery. Thank you all so much for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. And remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace.